there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with lead pastor Rob Carmack. Enjoy the sermon. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Lamentation, chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can take a look at our, at our bulletin. It's uh, printed on, the, on there. Um, so a question... Um, or can I say hello to the fa- like? Are we are we on? Hey, Facebook people, thanks for being with us. Um, I always I always feel like I'm ignoring someone in the room if I if I don't do that. So, hello. Um, all right. So I, I want to just sort of invite you to um, kind of think, and you, you can write it down if you want to actually have an answer to this. But like, wh- what's one of the biggest changes that you've ever experienced in your life? It doesn't have to be a negative change. It doesn't have to be like a, like a specific thing that you think of as like a, a hard, difficult change. Just any sort of change. It can be like a wedding or the birth of a child, a graduation, um, maybe a new job or, or, or something like that. And uh, just think, think in terms of like what what are what are some things that I've experienced. That I would look back at and say, like, oh, that was that was, like something something shifted. There was there was a change in my life, and like for whatever, like even if it was a good change, it was a, like a, a real significant change. Like, does anybody? I, I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll open it up. Does anybody want to want to answer? Have any thought? Yeah, that's a major change. Like, and then all of time is then is then measured by. Before and after, like you, you became a parent. Like, well, th- well, that was before we had kids, and this, well, this, this was after the kids were born. So, like, yeah, that, that's that, that's a major one. That I, I would, if if I were answering this question, that's that's probably how I would answer it as well. Like, yeah, the the, the birth of kids is a massive change. Um, all right. So yeah, so we there there are things that are like uh, th- things that we look back at and say like, oh, this was a positive change. There are things we look back at and say this is a negative change. But the thing that they all have in common is it was some kind of change. It was some kind of shift. It was like t- something. Something happened, and then we begin measuring all of time based on before that happened and after that happened. And the real and the thing the the thing that they all have in common is that the reality of life on on in all those experiences is after you experience a major life changing event, you can't go back. You can't go back to a time before you were a parent. You can't go back to a time before you were. Um, before you lost a parent. You can't go back to a time before you lost that job or before you took that new job or moved to that new town or did whatever. Um, There are are changes that we go through and they change us. There are are these shifts that we experience and those shifts are markers in time. And then, and, um, and, and and like I said, like we, we begin like measuring time based on before that happened or after that happened. Like I think of, well, um, I assume most of us can remember, maybe not not all of us, but like a time before 9/11, right? And so for for the longest time, there was always sort of like this this measuring of time, like well, this was pre 9/11, this was post 9/11, especially when you travel or something like that. And now, probably for the rest of all of our lives, we'll be measuring time in a pre-COVID and post-COVID world, right? Like this this was before COVID, this was after COVID, and that's how we measure time. And so change becomes a like a, a way that we sort of process everything. How how we like we, we sort of see everything through the lens of how change affects us. And so after a major life-changing event, you can't go back. We can't go back to a time before the major change happened. And so we're in a series here about grief and loss, but one of the things that we have to understand is that even good changes can be a, uh, can be a cause for grief because we have to like look back on the thing that, we, that once was, and we have to say, like that is no longer how things are. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. But I just want to 
put it in everybody's mind that oh, we're not just talking about grief in terms of like negative loss. We're talking about it in terms of all sorts of change. Like anytime something shifts in the in reality, we have to experience like th there there is there is a sense that oh that's not the same as it was before. Um, and so we're looking at Lamentations, and Lamentations is, is a book about like a negative change. Um, it, it, we, and we've talked before in the series about how the book of Lamentations is probably framed around the Babylonian exile in, in Israel. And so the city of Jerusalem has been leveled, the temple has been burned to the ground, and the people have been scattered across the known world. And so now they're dealing with sort of the aftermath of all of those things. And we, we've looked at um, the first three chapters already of Lamentations. We looked at chapter one, which is sort of a dialogue between um, the narrator and this woman who, who represents the city of Jerusalem and sort of like this grief that this, the, the city is feeling. And eventually, so you have these two characters. And so eventually in, in the second poem in Lamentations 2, you have sort of the narrator kind of breaking down and having this realization of, oh, th this, this is a serious moment of grief. And so the narrator says, my eyes fail from weeping. And then in the third chapter, you have this third character kind of enter into the story and also begin to acknowledge the grief and the sorrow and the loss. So the city's been leveled, the temple has been burned to the ground, the people have been scattered across the known world, and now we are in Lamentations 4, which is the fourth poem in this series of poems. And in Lamentations 4, um, it, which should be in your bulletin, um, it begins, how the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold becomes dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, Zion is another word for Jerusalem, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. So there's this interesting, the previous poems have been gut-wrenching agony. And they, they, there's been ranting and raving, reflective of deep personal wounds. Um, but th this one, it doesn't begin with like, my eyes fail from weeping or any of those sorts of things. It starts off how the gold has lost its luster. Something, chapter four, the tone shifts a little bit here. This one, chapter four has something different going on. It's not shouting, it's not angry, it's not weeping anymore, it's different. I would say chapter four represents the morning after the devastation. The, poem, the poet has vented, They've thrown things, they've yelled, they've shaken their fists at the sky, and now they're waking up on the other side of all of it, and they're kind of taking stock of how the gold has lost its luster, how it's, things are different. There's no crying or yelling left to do. All we know, all, like all the furniture has already, already been broken, and now, and now the poet is sort of just sort of, is kind of sitting in the aftermath of, well, now what? All we know is that things have changed, and they're never gonna be the same again. The fourth poem, realizes that the world has changed and that they can't go back. Things will never go back to the way that they used to be. So, and, and there's all sorts of dimensions to, and they, they uh, expound on that a little bit. So in, in verse four, or I'm sorry, in verse five of chapter four, it says, those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie in ash heaps. So basically this is referring to an economic collapse. Like, People once had resources, people once had money and means, and now those people no longer have the economic stability that they once have. The economy um, has suffered a blow. So there is, sorry, I all of a sudden forgot how to spell economy. Um, so the economy has, has changed. There, there's, there is an economic devastation to this moment. So now all of a sudden, people who once had all the resources that they needed are now struggling just to get by. 
So there, there's an economic dimension to the change. And then in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 7, it says, Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies. Their appearance like lapis lazuli, which I don't even know what that is. It's like, is it like a flower or something? Like what? what? It's a gem. Okay, cool. Um, I didn't, I, I did not know that. I should have Googled it, but I didn't. Um, but now... They are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on the bone. It has become dry and sick. So it talks about the, prin the princes. Princes are a representation of how society is organized. It's basically the princes ruled. We submitted. Everybody has their proper place in society. That's how we function. So the very understanding of hierarchy and power has changed. The social order has changed. So not only has the economy suffered, but the social order has also undergone a dramatic shift. Things are no longer how they were. So then in um, verse 12, it says, um, says the, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the people of the world, that the enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. So this, this language of, Nobody in the world believed that we were as vulnerable as we were. But as it turns out, we were a lot more vulnerable than we thought we were. We lived with the sense that our city could not be conquered. We believed that we were not vulnerable to certain outside forces. And, and then the foundations of how we understood ourselves were yanked out from under us. So there is a sense of safety and security that has changed. So... We've had this economic devastation, the social order has been disrupted, and our sense of security has now been also, like we, we, we had the sense that we were safe. We had the sense that this could not have happened to us. I mentioned 9-11 before. Like how many of us, again, if you can remember um, that, that day and the day after, like this feeling of we are not as safe as we once thought we were. I mean, the same, you could say the same thing about like a couple of weeks before um, the total shutdown before the NBA shut down. I, I think I've heard a lot of people say that the in, when the NBA decided to shut down because of COVID, like that's when everybody was like, oh, this is real. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we have this, we have this sense of, um, it, it, had, it had been over a hundred years since there was any sort of like massive pandemic. And so all of a sudden we were vulnerable in ways that we never thought we would be. We thought, we, we, we thought it couldn't happen and then it happened. And so all of a sudden, our sense of security and safety has been fully disrupted. And, 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 and it, it has changed the way that we live. I'm looking at, I, I see masks, you know what I mean? Like we are changed. So something has changed and we can't just go back. So every dimension, and so when in Lamentations 4, they, the, the poet begins writing out and kind of listing off all the different ways that things have changed. That, oh, it's not just like, I'm really sad about this, and we're just gonna have to get over it and move on. Every dimension of the known world, or every dimension of the world as they know it, has changed. This is not just, that was painful and we're gonna have to get over it. No, 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 this is, the world is a different place than we thought it was. Things have changed. We're not the same as we were because now we realize the world is not the same as it was. So one of the realities that Lamentations tells us about is loss equals change. So there is this, this real, I used to be able to hang these up and I wouldn't have to like, like bend down like that. So um, I, I do like 
the wall has changed, and uh, and that, that's a loss to me because in a, in a certain way, I like I like the new wall better, but that, I do miss the hooks. So um, anyway, so the poet, what the poet is doing in listing off all these different things is the poet is adjusting. The poet is reckon, reckoning with. We have lost a lot, but the loss isn't just like that was painful. It is, okay, now we're going to have to sort of take inventory and take stock of all the different ways that things have actually changed. Things are not the way they once were. We can't go back. The poet is adjusting. Things are not going to be like they were. The whole structure has been blasted to pieces. And now he's sort of reckoning with, oh, okay, so it's not just like this very violent, painful thing happened to us and we're going to have to move on. It's Okay, we're going to have to reckon with the fact that the world is a different place than it was yesterday. Loss equals change. There, there, is, there is a fundamental shift in the way we experience life after we go through a loss. When we suffer, when we experience a significant loss, we have to learn to find normalcy within a different reality. There is, again, there, there, is, there is a sense of you can't just go back. You can't just hit the reset button and go back to the way things were. Any sort of loss comes with change. Um, and there's also, I, I hear people talk about like secondary change, um, which, which is basically, or secondary loss, which is basically like if, if you lose a loved one, then not only do you lose that loved one, not only is that person no longer with you in, in the way that you, they once were, but also it changes the way that you do holidays. It changes like, the person that you call in, on certain days of the year or certain or at, at certain times of your life. It changes how your family interacts a, a lot of times. And so it's not just one loss, it's this loss equals a change in all these other dimensions of how we experience life. Loss equals change. So there's that dimension of it, but then there's also this, this uh, the other side of this coin here, which is that any kind of change is also a kind of loss. So and we have a hard time processing this because a lot of times we experience positive changes. We experience becoming a parent or graduation or um, moving to a different house or your kids getting older. And there, there's, there are these changes that we think of as positive changes, but then there's also the sense of like, well then why do I miss certain things? You know what I mean? Like why do I have a sense of grief when I talk about good change in my life? So any major change is a form of loss. Even, even changes that are good or even changes that are necessary because it's a disruption. And the, the best example I can think of in this is like a graduation. Like in fact, I, um, a, a few years ago, I spoke at a baccalaureate um, at, 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 for a high school, which is basically like a religious graduation. And if you don't know what a baccalaureate is, uh, and one of, the, one of the things that I, um, that I said in my, because I, I didn't, I don't know. It's always weird when you get invited to speak in places where you don't know anybody and you don't know exactly what to say. So I, I, I basically had this moment where I said to the parents in the room, like, I realize you're going through something that's entirely, um, it's, it feels unusual because you're celebrating because your kid is graduating from high school. And that's a good thing. You, you want your kid to graduate from high school. If at a certain point your kid doesn't graduate from high school, you become deeply concerned. But the also, so, so every parent in this room is celebrating, but also every parent in this room is grieving because things are going to change. And the way things were isn't the way things are, or isn't the way things will be. And so there is, there is this tremendous amount of celebration that goes on at a graduation, but there's also a lot of grief that goes on at a graduation. 
So any sort of change is a, is a kind of loss because you're going through the loss of the way things were. So um, again, like I, I can think of all kinds of examples of this. I, um, I, I, have, I have three kids and my oldest is um, deeply averse to any kind of change. Does not like change at all. Um, any kind of change. So, um, like, I, I remember we, a few years ago, we moved. We, we, we sold our house and we bought another house. And the house that we moved into is inarguably a better house than the house that we moved out of. Uh, it's in a better neighborhood. It's just, it's a better, it, it's just a better, he, he got a better, like, room out of it. It, it was a better situation for everybody. Um, but he sobbed because, like, that, when we, when we first told him that we were moving, because that was his house. You know what I mean? And so it was a good change, but at the same time, that change for my, for my kid felt like a loss. Any kind of change for my kid feels like a loss. It's, um, in fact, the other day he was just talking about how upset he is that it's not summertime anymore because he can't go swimming. And so he was like upset about it. And there, there's this, there's this sense of like, like even the changing of the seasons for him feels like loss to him. And then I'm sure in the summertime he'll be upset that it's not Christmas anymore. You know what I mean? And so like there, there's always um, so any so for for someone who is averse to change, all change can feel like a real emotional loss. Um, I remember I <clears throat> I was at a pastors conference a few years ago, and I met a guy who was not a pastor. He he worked in marketing, which I, if you're if you're in marketing, I don't know why you would attend a pastors conference, but he did. And so I but I got I, I got to I, I sat with him at at the, at the lunch uh, that we were having, and um, we were just sort of talking about our work and he, and he was telling me about this situation where he, he had been doing some consulting work for a company and he said the company had changed their logo. They, they had they'd done a full logo re redesign and launched their new, their new logo. And the, and the new logo was supposed to be like this really exciting event that they had. And he said, um, the thing about launching the new logo is after the new logo was launched, morale and like work, um, productivity went down in the office after the launch of the new logo. And they were trying to figure out why, because it's just a logo. But it turned out there were lots of people who had an emotional attachment to the old logo. And so what the guy, got, what the guy realized was like, oh, all these people are grieving from, or they're grieving the old logo. And they don't, they haven't fully processed the change that is represented in changing the, the logo. So what he, so what this consultant, this guy that I met, this consultant, what he decided to do was he, he advised them. He said, I think you need to have a funeral for the old logo. <laughs> and so they did it. They had a few, they got together in like a hotel conference space and they put the, the logo up on, on an easel board and they had people come up and talk about like what it was like for them when they were, when they were working for the company before we changed the logo. And like, what, what that logo represented to them. And people like got emotional about the old logo and people had like real feelings and thoughts about like, well, when I came on board, um, this logo reminds me that when I came on board, um, I was just a young kid, I was getting my first job and like, this is where I came up, this is where I learned, this is where I met my wife, blah, blah, blah. You know, just like all these different like details about like what the old logo represented. So they had to, have, so, and then they, they had like somebody like, like basically a pallbearer, like take the, the logo off the stage and bring the new logo on and have like a whole ceremony about the, old, the new logo, about the old logo and the, and the transition into the new logo. And, and so even when, in the, it's not like the old logo had like a moral superiority to the new logo or like, lo, as far as I know, logos are amoral. And, um, 
And it's just that people had a certain amount of attachment to the way things were. And that change represented a loss to a certain group of people. And there was the sense of like, oh, we have to acknowledge that like people are grieving. People are grieving that they're, the, the company is changing and that we are changing. And this, this new logo represents those kinds of things. So we have to acknowledge that grief. Um, I remember when um, we, we've been in this building since 2015. We started the church in 2014 in the hotel space up the road at, at the at the Marriott. And I remember when we moved into this building, and like, and I would never ever go back to to being in the hotel space. The hotel space was, um, it, it was great for us at the time, but it was also like there. But it was very difficult for all kinds of reasons. But there was also kind of like this kind of punk rock sort of sense to like how we were doing things. Like all like all the church's possessions were in the trunk of my car, as much as like a church plant can feel like a punk rock, which is limited. But um, anyway, so like all the stuff was in the trunk of my car. Like we were like loading in and out every week. There were just a different list of like things that we were experiencing because we were in a hotel conference space with like. Uh, like a dental hygienist conference or um, or various various other of like a guitar uh, a- exhibition show or something like that um, which is not easy to hold a church service next door to a, a guitar exhibition show just so just in case you were wondering um, so there were all these difficulties to it but when we moved out of the hotel and into this building there was a certain sense of oh we're we're not exactly what we were before. And so even though it was a good change, it was a necessary change, I would argue, there was also this sense of, yeah, but that's not the church that it was. So it's, it's, it's gonna look and feel a little bit different. And again, I would never go back, but there's, there was also this realization of like, we're gonna have to grieve the hotel a little bit. We're gonna have to grieve that change because there, there is a sense of loss. And any, any sort of change can feel like a loss. So even when the change is good or healthy, it still needs to be properly grieved. So maybe there's a change that you've gone through and it hasn't been fully grieved yet. And you're having this realization of why, why do certain things make me sad when, they shouldn't, when, when I feel like I should be happy? Well, maybe it's because you're grieving. And maybe it's because that thing that comes with so much joy and excitement and newness also feels like a major, um, shift and, and it feels like a loss. It's okay, that's part of it. Um, my wife cries every single time one of my kids loses a baby tooth because it represents they're getting older and they're not, they're, we love the people that they're becoming, but there's also this, this sense of they're not who they were. And we're, so we have to grieve like the baby versions of themselves every time a tooth is lost or every time a birthday comes across. Um, so um, if, so, so any, any, any kind of change, it, it is a loss of the way that things were. And sometimes we have to, even, even if it's a good change, we still have to grieve the thing that it was. Um, I was just having a conversation with somebody not long ago about, I, mean, I could give examples of this all day, but um, uh, I was just having a conversation with somebody not, not long ago, somebody who's a newlywed, and I was telling them like, um, if I could go back to a time before my kids were born, I would travel more. You know, and there, I would just wear my passport out if I could. And now I'm in a stage of life where that's a lot more difficult than it was, than it would have been had had we had we taken advantage of that before. And so there's, um, and it's not like I would trade my kids for more stamps on my passport. Never, never in a million years. But at the same time, I have to grieve like, oh, that season of life is no longer what it was. You know what I mean? And so, um, and so any good change comes with 
a loss. We have to, the, so, um, w one writer I, uh, I, I like has, puts it this way, you can never have a resurrection before you have a death. And so there, like every resurrection begins with the death of something. And so any change, any good change comes with the death of something else. And we have to acknowledge that there's a loss that comes along with that. So maybe the question is, is there anything in your life that needs to be properly grieved, but you've not given yourself permission to grieve that thing because it felt like it, it felt wrong to grieve something that was good. You know what I mean? Um, is there any kind of change? Maybe here's, here's another question. Is there any kind of change that you need to make, but you're afraid of what you might lose? Maybe there's a move. Maybe there's uh, a job change. Maybe there's um, a, a decision that you've been putting off because, and you know, it's, it's a good decision. It's, it's a thing that needs to happen. But at the same time, it's, it's a thing of like, yeah, but if I do that, I'll lose the way things are now. I will lose the status quo. And a lot of times we become so deeply connected to the way things are that we're really afraid of the way things might be. So is there any, so two questions. Is there any kind of change the, that needs to be properly grieved? And is there any kind of change that needs to be made but we're afraid of what we might lose? So may you grieve all the things that need to be grieved. May you name the changes. Even if the changes are good, may you name those things. And so, it, and then, May you, if there's a change that needs to be made, but you're feeling a little bit afraid about it because of what the loss might feel like, may you find it within you to make those kinds of changes, even if it's difficult, if it's a healthy change that needs to be made. So um, may you become more and more of who you were always meant to be, and may you grieve the loss of all the changes that go along with that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of change, even when it feels like a loss. And for those of us who are grieving and we don't know how to fully process it because we're grieving something that might actually feel like it, it shouldn't be grieved because it represents something good, may we give ourselves permission to grieve. And may we have the wisdom to know when something needs to change. May we find ourselves um, always in pursuit of the next right thing, which a lot of times looks like grief and a lot of times it looks like loss and it looks like change. And may we, may we grieve all the things that need to be grieved. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.